Hello and welcome to episode three of the Long Story Short podcast. I'm your host, Vicky Cornick. On today's podcast, I will be chatting with a very good friend of mine, Brian Ohengasa. Brian is one of Ireland's premier nutrition coaches and the head of coaching at Triage Method, a multidisciplinary online coaching and education company. Brian works with a wide variety of individuals, from those wanting to improve their body composition and athletic performance, to people needing help with issues such as IBS or PCOS. In recent years, Brian's niche has moved more towards working with people to improve their relationship with food and disordered eating patterns, such as binge eating, which is what we'll mainly be discussing on today's podcast. I know for a fact so many people will find this podcast useful and will be able to put Brian's tips to use straight away. I really hope you enjoy this one. Hey, Brian, how are you? And welcome to the Long Story Short podcast. I am well, Vicky. Thank you for having me on here. Uh, Looking forward to having this chat today, as per usual. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Firstly, Brian, I am just going to get you to introduce yourself to the listeners, who you are, what you do, and who do you work with? Yeah, so uh, my name is Brian O'Hengisa. I am a university qualified nutritionist um, and nutrition coach, and I'm the head of coaching and nutrition in Triage Method, which you, know, you will know well, obviously, yep. um, but it's a online coaching um, an education company. We've got a, a great multidisciplinary team there. We've got, you know, physios, PTs, nutritionists, a doctor and a couple of doctors in training. So we're, we're building out this, this really class team and, uh, you know, uh, coaching people online is one main area we do. And then also education for, you know, general population, like lay people, but also professionals as well. So we have different, uh, services and stuff, uh, with that in mind. Um, so these days, my a lot of my my time is kind of split between coaching people, um, which I love, and that's that's what I've been doing for you know since 2017, and, and coaching people online with nutrition, um, and you know my, I suppose who I who I coach has evolved over that time as well. Like it's it's quite a you know I would have started with more just kind of performance and body composition stuff, and then over the years have kind of moved into this kind of uh, the more psychological realms of nutrition and. Um, helping people with disordered eating and things like binge eating, which I know is what we're going to talk about uh, for a lot of today. Um, but I still get a, I still get a nice mix, and I like that, you know. So I work with people with, you know, IBS or other digestive issues or hormonal issues or body composition goals or performance. Or what you'll often find is someone will have like a mix of all those things, uh, and then you know that's kind of ideal then because that's where all the, the Venn diagrams overlap. So. Um, I do a good bit of coaching, but I also have some kind of, you know, management roles now in the business and, and spend a bit more time on that than that I would have in the past. So that's kind of what I'm up to these days. Obviously, you gave us like a lot of different kind of categories of people you work with. The reason, though, that I suppose I really wanted to have you on the podcast is to touch on, you know, the disordered eating patterns um, that you work with on clients, especially when it comes to binge eating. So as we know, um, and I'm sure a lot of people are aware, binge eating is this kind of buzzword that a lot of people use. I definitely have like so many clients that will come to me and, you know, in their consultation form or when I first meet them in person, they're going to tell me they binge eat. And I suppose just to get off on the the right foot, we probably should specify, um, and I will definitely let let you go ahead with that, of of what is binge eating to start with? 
Yeah, it's a really good point in terms because it is it is thrown around a lot, kind of casually. It's like some of those casual thing terms that's that's used a lot in in the industry, right? And yeah, it's almost colloquial. Um, it's it's like someone saying like, "Oh, I'm OCD because you know my my shoes aren't in a line," which is not at all what it really means to be OCD, right? It's a legitimate, you know, mental health condition. Um, so like, if we're thinking about binge eating, right? There's you can consider the like there's the clinical definition of, of binge eating um, as per the, the DSM or the Diagnostics and the Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, um, which sort of classifies it as, okay, eating a, a nor- abnormally large amount of food, usually um, in a reasonably short space of time, while also having um, like a lot of, say, maybe guilt or embarrassment associated with this and maybe you do it in secret so that people don't know about it because of the the shame associated with it and you might eat faster than normal you might you know not be hungry at all when this is going on um and then like crucially one of the characteristics will be this perceived loss of control so that's kind of how you differentiate it from like just overeating right because you and i could easily go and just you know especially this time of year like go and overeat um this yeah. evening right i mean just you know we could be sitting on the couch you know putting miniature heroes into us right and not really paying that much attention to it but that is quite distinctly different to like a binge where you're almost having this out-of-body experience you feel like you've lost control of your behavior here and you feel really bad about it like if i sit on the couch and fire a lot of roses into me like i'm not going to feel bad about it so that's kind of how we would dif- differentiate and then a binge has to occur uh, approximately on a weekly basis. So like pretty frequently. Um, and that's like the clinical setup for, for binge eating. Now, you know, there's going to be people who don't, who may engage in binge eating and don't meet the criteria for say binge eating disorder. Right. So mm-hmm. it, that all that will mean really is that they'll binge eat, but it won't be as often. Okay. So that, you know, the, the clinical diagnostics are like have some utility, but and um, basically it's like, okay, usually eating quite a large amount of food with this loss of control, like this, you know, sense of a loss of control, um, plus a lot of kind of negativity that comes with it, like in terms of, of emotions. Um, that's, that's what a binge is. Um, and then it's really more about the frequency as to whether or not like you meet the, the binge eating disorder criteria or not, which is only kind of newly recognized as, as an eating disorder. It's only... Yeah, um, I was going to say, I actually... That's a that's new info for me. Um, I, I, I didn't know. Yeah, that. it's like I think it was 2013. It was it was first recognized. So definitely like a lot newer compared to some of the other eating disorders that people be more familiar with. Um, so that's that's what it is. Right. And again, I don't really I like I don't think it matters too much if you meet the criteria or not. It's basically a question of like, OK, do you engage in these behaviors and do they detract from your quality of life? And that's when we'd say, okay, cool, then we'll, we'll intervene in that case. You know what I mean? I, I think that's a good question for a lot of circumstances is if, you know, we often hear that tracking your food is bad or, you know, binge eating is bad. And I, th- I think when we bring back to that question of, does it take away from your quality of life and affect your quality of life? Mm. If the answer is yes, okay, then, you know, there's something that needs to be done about it. If the answer is no, I can go about my day, even though, you know, I track my food, I'm not doing it meticulously, it doesn't take up 
you know, any other headspace outside of me physically tracking my food or doing whatever. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really good kind of way to um, know whether or not it's problematic or not. Yeah, it should, it should be pretty intuitive. Like if you should be pretty conscious of whether or not it's a problem and then, you know, it, it basically what I suppose we're trying to, what we're trying to clarify here is that like, you know, over most people engage in overeating at some point, right? It's, it's not at all unusual. Um, but you know, is, is it in the form of binge eating, which is, you know, different. And then is it causing you distress basically? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. We all at some stage kind of feel like, Oh, you know, unbutton the jeans because Christmas day or whatever it is. But yeah, it's, it's when it goes past that point of where, you know, and, and I've definitely experienced these feelings where you you're in a conversation with people and you, you can't think about anything else, but you know, food or what you've just ate or, or that type of thing that, um, I suppose when it occupies your mind so much. Mm. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think that was brilliantly summarized. Um, so hopefully that, you know, gives our listeners a bit of an idea as to, do I have binge eating disorder? Should I go about this? Or, you know, um, do I just binge and overeat basically? Mm. Um, can you give us a bit of a, a description? I presume this is going to be quite different for a lot of people, but what is it generally that would cause a binge? Yeah. So you can probably break it into two, maybe three different categories, or at least this is the way I think about it. Um, there is there is a situation where people will perhaps binge and, and meet that criteria, and it's it's solely down to being too hungry. Um, and you know, one of one of the characteristics of binge eating can be to eat even when you're not hungry. Right? So that's a different uh, side of it. But you know, basically, you have a situation where someone you know is maybe eating very very little across the day. You know, whether that's intentional or not it's quite easy to see how that could lead to say something that looks like a binge uh, in the evening time, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they get up and they don't have breakfast and then um, they only have a very like, you know, quote unquote light lunch. And then, you know, they could go exercise or whatever and then get home and then it's like dinner time. They're like ravenous at this point. So um, it's quite hard at that stage to not, you know, eat quite quickly and eat quite a lot of food because you've basically been depriving yourself all day. Um, and, you know, that can kind of carry on because you'll probably eat that meal really quickly. And then, you know, the hunger signal or the fullness signals won't register, uh, you know, because they need a bit of time. And then you just kind of keep eating. You're like, well, I'm not satisfied yet. So I'm going to, you know, have this pack of biscuits and so on and so on and so on. So that's one way that it can come up for sure. And then, you know, this might feed into a, a bit of a shitty cycle where um, someone is like, well, I can't eat norm like i can't eat like breakfast and lunch because i keep having these like binges in the evening um but that's that's the wrong way to look at it it's like you binge in the evening because you're eating you know fuck all during the day so if you start there and have regular meals like having regular meals kind of no matter what is one of the first steps to um resolving binge eating right it's kind of the first port of call it's like you know, because not all people in that situation are, are going to have like a good sense of their hunger and fullness cues. So you have to start somewhere they'll develop over time. But like, as it stands, you almost have to have like a routine. Okay. You're going to have, you know, your three meals um, plus or minus whatever snacks um, so that you don't end up in this deprived state in the evening time. Um, 
so yeah, the, to say that, well, I have to like eat no breakfast and eat a light lunch because I eat so much in the evening is the wrong way to look at it. You know, if you yeah. take care of the breakfast and the lunch, chances are you'll eat a lot more normally in the evening time. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think that's pretty good advice for the general population is have, you know, when I say set meal times, not that you have to have your breakfast every single morning at 9am, but I often, like I get a lot of people coming to me and working with me who they say, oh, the evenings is where I struggle. So right, we go through their day and like, oh, well, I don't need breakfast. I'm not hungry in the mornings. And then by the time I'm busy in work, I actually don't really end up eating my lunch till three. And then that's when things kick off. And like, I can't, you know, I can't stop after that. So it's, I, I think there's really something to be said for that set meal times to some extent. I understand for a lot of people, they can get really, you know, caught up on that and a bit obsessive over it. Um, but that's not the aim of that. It's just to create structure, which is, I think, really yep. beneficial. Yeah, super important, super basic, but super important. Yeah. Um, you know, if someone is struggling with their eating behaviors. Um, and then other other factors we can look at. I mean, genetics is a big component of, of you know, as a, as a risk factor for binge eating. It's like, you know, 50% of it is will have a genetic component, um, which is obviously quite a lot. Um, so there, there, that is important to take into account. And then, you know, there's, there's kind of the psychological and physical risk factors that may lead to someone binge eating. Right. So, um, if we consider dieting, for example, right. With the potential lack of flexibility and the potential restriction that brings with it, that can often, uh, lead to binge eating behaviors, um, and you know, th this is, this is generally when, uh, diets are done like in an extreme way, they're not very well put together. You know, they're not the kind of approaches that you and I would, would coach someone with in terms of, you know, trying to improve their body composition. It's, you know, your typical crash diets, fad diets, um, you know, diets that, that encourage you to, or, you know, uh, not even encourage, but require you to cut out huge amounts of food groups or whatever it is right because then if you if you develop this belief that okay you know i can't eat carbohydrates because you know they will make me fatter or they will prevent weight loss you know so that's that's a let's just use that as an example so that's a quite a severe restriction because you know carbohydrates are the basis of a lot of people's uh food and meals and stuff um so if you're going about your business saying okay well i can't have carbohydrates um, obviously there's kind of a psychological allure then because these carbs are now, you know, forbidden and they're on this pedestal. Um, and what will happen is, you know, in, in something like that, that, that's very restrictive, you know, you probably can't avoid eating carbohydrates forever. You know, you may find yourself in a, a social environment that they're there and you in your current beliefs uh, and kind of mindset about this stuff that you've, inherited from somewhere you've you know you've read it somewhere you've heard it somewhere or someone's told it to you explicitly like you know you could be working with a shit nutritionist or something that says okay you need to cut out carbs right um if you if you then eat some carbs like say you're at a family gathering or something and you know there's bread rolls there and you have some bread right the psychological implications of that for you are that shit i've fucked up my diet now i've broken the rule in your head you're saying okay, I've broken the rule now. I do intend to stick with this diet though. So 
I do plan not to actually ever eat bread again after this. So I will actually make the most of it now because I've already screwed it up. So then, you know, cue all the bread, cue all the pasta, cue all the rice, potatoes, chips, crisps, you know, chocolate, whatever else you've been avoiding um, as part of this dietary approach um, will all go in because you're, you're basically making up for not only lost time and, and lost experience where you where you haven't been able to have that stuff or you haven't been, you know, quote unquote, allowed to have that stuff based on these restrictions. But you're also thinking about your future self where, you know, you're never going to have any of this stuff again, essentially. Like yeah. that's kind of the mindset. Um, so that can absolutely trigger binge eating because um, there's there's so much restriction involved that when you have this very inflexible approach to your nutrition and you, you know, screw that up, so to speak, um, you know, that kind of cues a cascade of, again, you know, guilt and, and shame and all these negative emotions that come with it. Um, and then it, it creates this deprivation, you know, uh, physically and psychologically, which then you want aim to satisfy and that can easily manifest as a binge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that can that can easily look like, you know, the person who does, you know, really well, you know, Monday to Friday on their super restrictive diet and then come the weekend it all falls apart and yeah. you know that that can just be overeating like you know you and i are both very uh, very big proponents of going out to eat and things right when you enjoy yeah. our food so Foodies. <laughs> yeah right so we'll appreciate uh that we'll probably eat more calories at the weekend if we're going out for a meal or something right but that does obviously not uh, constitute binge eating but yeah. it's like you open up those floodgates and then that's where it takes you if you're in this very restrictive approach to your diet which yeah you know, uh, obviously the solution there, I mean, it's solution is simple, not necessarily easy, but you develop a more flexible approach to your nutrition. You, I mean, I know if I'm working with this on somebody, like we have to assess like, you know, which foods are actually on your bad list and and why, right. And actually have kind of a, a cognitive dissection of those, you know, to see where someone's beliefs are actually at. And it's like, you know, for example, again, with this carbohydrate thing, it's like, okay, you know, why, why do you think, you know, bread and, and, and pasta and stuff are so detrimental to your fat loss goals? And they'll give you some sort of answer, you know, it depends what they've heard, what they've picked up it could be, um, you know, being misinformed by the insulin hypothesis, or it could be, you know, just kind of distorted lived experience where, well, when I cut out, you know, carbs in the past, I've, I've dropped a few pounds pretty quickly. Um, and that, you know, that's mostly water weight, uh, but they may not understand that. Um, so if you have this lived experience that like the only time I can have success with this stuff is when I cut out those foods, then you, you build up kind of a case for yourself to do that. Um, I which... need my mom to listen to that exact bit that you just said. <laughs> I've been told she loves bread and she loves pasta. And I have been constantly reminded, obviously we're in the lead up to Christmas. This will be released mm. after Christmas. But I've constantly been reminded come January, there's no bread or pasta in the house. And that's my mom, who I preach this to on a daily basis. And anyways. There is that saying, you know, they won't take advice from me if they change your nappies. So yeah, so true. And probably the other way around as well. (laughs) I don't listen. I don't take her advice. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Is there anything else um, that you would suggest, um, like strategies that you would suggest working on and um, if people struggle with binge eating, I suppose like, you know, any do's and don'ts um, that you have found would be useful or that you find works with clients. 
yeah so like uh, from like a broader viewpoint it's about lessening the restriction you know or restricting the restriction right um and trying to have a more inclusive diet so you know if you're working on that list then then we'll use kind of exposure based approaches to try and work some of those foods back into someone's diet right regularly so you know if you say to me vicky like you know jelly beans are on your bad list and i say to you okay vic well what about eat one jelly bean every day like do you think that's going to cause a problem um and you probably won't and it's like well what about two jelly beans every day and you know you can see where i'm going with this um and now that's kind of a very easy example for me to work uh, to use because you know jelly beans are a small little food right but that's basically the idea so you know can you eat a small portion of you know cereal or something whatever whatever the food is that you want to work on can you eat a small portion of that um yeah, under kind of certain conditions, which I can I can discuss in a bit in terms of like mindful eating and stuff. But um, what that can do, how I describe this is like you kind of start building a portfolio of evidence for yourself that, right, I had those, you know, five jelly beans every day this week and, you know, my world didn't implode, right? I, I didn't, you know, balloon out because I ate some sugar. Um, you know, I don't feel any different essentially outside of maybe some potential discomfort about the process but you know that kind of cliche that you know the progress the, the growth is outside your comfort zone right so you have to push it a little bit on these things but you can start very very small you can scale back to you know it, whatever the equivalent of one jelly bean is you can scale back to there um that's something that really just given kind of my my past that really worked with me was every holiday mm. for me was always a stressful moment um, yeah. and you know I love ice cream, but I always felt like, okay, this is my chance. You know, I'm going away for a week. I'm going to have one ice cream this week. That was kind of the first holiday. And then the next holiday might come around and right, I'm going to have two ice creams in the week. And it's just that, I suppose, building that trust in mm. yourself. And yeah. it, it's really hard to do. And that's coming from somebody who's actually experienced that feeling of like trying to build that trust when it comes to eating those mm. foods. And I think, looking back on it the holiday is always a great example that I give because it's like each holiday just gets better and less stressful and because you've come back home and you've gone nothing happened nothing bad happened um so yeah it's and and if anything a lot of good has happened you gained memories and you you know maybe had ice cream with your partner or your mom or your dad somebody who you know always would have wanted you to have an ice cream so I I think there's a huge um reason to recognize those wins no matter how small they might feel of like god you know it's a bit embarrassing just having an ice cream while I'm on my holidays but like write that win down or celebrate that win because it's really important yeah yeah people totally downplay like the value of of a win like that you know all the time in in, like check-ins that it's like you know you always get that like oh I know this is silly but you know I'm really happy with you know how that went somebody says I have no wins and I'm like I can list off five wins. I've seen you like three times this week. I can list off at least five wins that you've done, done something amazing. But that's actually a useful segue into like another topic in this area is like, um, you know, I haven't haven't discussed kind of the third way that binge eating can manifest. And this is sort of, you know, emotionally based, um, let's say. So, you know, people can use binge eating as a coping mechanism of some sort, either to feel better about, 
you know, if they're feeling bad for whatever reason, um, feel better or or at least just not feel anything at all and then try to induce a certain amount of numbness um, to avoid like experiential avoidance where you just try and not feel how you're feeling. Because, I mean, that's kind of a, a complicated topic where, you know, you kind of uh, attach yourself to the idea that you have to feel good all the time and therefore you're trying to avoid at all costs anything that doesn't look like that, which is definitely not realistic. Yeah. And, you know, so it, it can manifest as a coping mechanism. Like a lot of, you know, a lot of coping mechanisms could slot in here. Um, it just so happens that eating is, is a very uh, easily accessible one. It has some, a lot of like pleasure associated with it, at least in the moment, you know, eating nice food is nice mm-hmm. um, until the binge is over. And then you suddenly feel awful about yourself. Um, but yeah, that kind of what you mentioned there about, you know, not having any wins, right? This is an important point because, you know, psychological risk factors for, for binge eating are going to be things like poor self-esteem. Um, you know, and I see that a lot with people like I, you know, I build that into their check-ins. Like I want to know, um, essentially, you know, not just the wins, but like also, you know, I want to know if, uh, one to three things that you like about yourself that aren't related to your physical appearance. Um, and I want to know one to three things that you're grateful for in relation to your body. That's again, not down to physical appearance, right? And the people who need to do this work the most will struggle with it the most in the beginning. So you literally have it that, okay, they actually can't write anything, which, and then obviously these people are, you know, dealing with binge eating and stuff as well. So those, those two go hand in hand because, um, you know, all of that will, will be associated with a lot of negative emotions um so a way you can reframe that like if you're if, if someone's listening to this and they're like oh that's me like i couldn't write you know one thing down that i like about myself in that context like that's a problem but um the way i've reframed it for people is like okay well think about what the people actually care about you would say in that context right and you know i, I had a lady recently who went and asked people right which was class right yeah. so she didn't just she didn't just do it as like a thought experiment. She actually went and asked people like her husband and uh, family members and friends and stuff like that. So that was great. So that's a that's a good way you can get around this uh, if you're finding you're having a block initially. But I promise you, the more you do it, the easier it gets and the better at it you get. Um, and another kind of psychological risk factor for for binge eating is going to be perfectionism, right? Because um, for a lot of reasons, you know, it could be because that'll apply to a lot of areas of your life. So essentially if you're not executing things to 100 percent and achieving perfection by your definition that's not good enough you know by your standards that's not good enough and yeah. yeah what happens when you tell yourself repeatedly you're not good enough mm-hmm. right um and you can apply that like very uh, easily to like a diet as well so what i spoke about previously in terms of well you didn't stick 100 percent to this restrictive diet or not or even unrestrictive diets because you know, that's what I'll see as well. It's like, you could give someone like this, you know, a calorie target and it's like, you know, they went five calories over and it's not good enough. Um, and that will cause issues in and of itself. Um, so and Paddy the- for helping me with that. <laughs> Cause that was me. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an issue. And then within all this as well, uh, you've got things like uh, body image concerns, which we have to, spend some time talking about because that's almost like the main driver for a lot of these behaviors. Like a lot of these behaviors just manifest because, you know, it's like 
you know, binge eating is an issue because you end up over consuming and then potentially gain weight. Right. Mm -hmm. And then that's a problem in your world because you're trying not to do that because you're placing a lot of importance on your body shape and size and physical appearance and your body weight and whatever else. Um, and you know, we can talk about where that comes from, but really, really important point to consider in this space is that an overvaluation of physical appearance and body image is a major risk, risk factor for things like restrictive dieting. And then also things like, you know, binge eating kind of further down the line. Um, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but uh, I will, I will try and keep the thread at least in there. So I was talking about kind of binge eating in an emotional cope mechanism context. Um, you know, so with that, like, how do we actually improve that? Right. That's, that's an important thing to consider. So, um, there's a few ways you can go about this. Um, in some ways, is it going to be a problem solving exercise, right? And actual, like, if we think about, um, things that are protect protective against, uh, like eating disorders in general, not just binge eating, it's like problem solving skills features there. Uh, having a higher degree of self-esteem features there, right? Body appreciation features there. So you can see how all this stuff kind of opposes what I'm saying is are the risk factors for something like binge eating, which, you know, should be pretty logical. Um, but if you can, like, if you can identify what problem the binge eating is solving for you in that moment, uh, instead of right because this is what generally people will do especially if they're like on their own doing this and i know this from working with a lot of people in this space um if they binge they'll want to kind of stick their head in the sand and forget about it and pretend like it didn't happen because they feel so bad about it and they never actually learn anything from it <clears throat> excuse me so they'll end up just repeating the same behaviors over and over and over again and i've had so many clients say that to me that like they appreciate so much that they throughout the coaching process they're forced to reflect on these things right so we either win or we learn right there's no there's no losing yeah. here so you need to be able to start to identify and you can't do this without like starting to become more self-aware and more mindful which is like maybe the ultimate path to resolving this stuff is just developing that mindfulness self-awareness because you know being mindful directly opposes something like binge eating because as i said earlier you're you're out of control and you're tuned out generally you know you're trying not to feel um in a lot of cases <clears throat> and you just want to ignore what's actually going on in your life at that moment in time but if you can identify what is triggering this behavior and you know i like to talk to clients about this in this sort of um <clears throat> excuse me terminology because I don't want people to feel like they're fighting against themselves, you know, so I'd rather them think about like, okay, like how is, how is binge eating actually helping you in your life right now? Right. Because then <clears throat> you can start to cultivate some degree of appreciation for yourself that like, you know, it's, it's definitely not the way you want to go about your life, but your body's brain, subconscious, whatever it is, is doing the best it can with the tools that it has at this moment in time. And if you've learned over the course of many years that binge eating and eating to, uh, you know, numb your feelings, make them go away is a, an effective solution, then it makes sense that you'll keep doing that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's serving some sort of purpose. So rather than saying like, it's a battle with yourself, it's like, okay, well, 
what's actually going on here with me, right? And you can't really explore that unless you're willing to be tuned in, which people are often not in that context, like based on all the things I just said. So you're trying to figure out, you know, what's what's the trigger here? And then you're trying to figure out, okay, like what are like literally all the other options that I could do in this context to try and potentially make myself feel better, cope with this feeling. Some will be worse than eating, you know, some will be like, drug use or alcohol use right so obviously you don't want to go there but there may be other options that fit in somewhat well and will be better than binge eating so you basically come up with your list go through it identify which ones are like the most practical and which ones are obviously the most beneficial and say okay if i find myself triggered as i because you've developed some self-awareness now so you know like what the triggers might be so if i notice that i'm triggered and I may be on the path to a binge as a result. Okay, I'm going to do one of these things that I've identified as a, as a potential better coping mechanism. And then another potential option here, like so you got that kind of problem solving, uh, substitutive coping mechanism option and finding a better tool for the job, basically. Um, but you can also try and cultivate a degree of acceptance of what you're actually experiencing in terms of the physical sensations, the feelings. So instead of like panicking to drown that stuff out, can you sit with those emotions? Yeah. Depending on where they're coming from, that may be very difficult to do without like a mental health professional. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, if you're masking some sort of trauma, you know, some sort of significant trauma that, you know, maybe too difficult. You may not be able to sit with those emotions properly. But in a lot of cases, you will be able to, um, you know, because if it's something like a stressful day or you've had an argument with somebody, you know, in work or in your personal life, whatever it is, and that just kind of flicks the switch for you to go and binge. So like try and stop yourself before you get into that automatic behavior. You can also try the alternative method, but um, I do also like for people to try and cultivate this degree of acceptance that, you can feel however you might feel and still take values-driven action in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of from the, the acceptance and commitment therapy model, which I'd be quite fond of. But, um, you know, that's kind of appropriate in, in the situation where someone is just like, just trying to as quickly as possible not feel anything bad, which is a problem. Um, that That can be kind of useful because, you know, what's it actually telling you? You know, is it telling you that, Hey, I don't like it when I have a confrontation with my partner. Yeah, no, no, no fucking surprise yeah. there, right? So, like, is it that big of a deal? Uh, it may not be. Um, and is the best way, do you think, to do this, if there is a best way, journal, write it down, or take take notes in your phone? Like, how how would you suggest somebody goes about this? They're feeling, they're feeling these not feelings, or they don't want to feel these feelings. And kind of going, mm. I know I really should be experiencing these feelings. Am I best to take out a notebook and write how I'm feeling or what's the kind of. Yeah. Like journaling is a super useful exercise in, in all of this sort of conversation because it develops that sort of mindfulness, present state awareness that, that people are often lacking in, in these situations. Um, so that can be super handy. It's like, okay, like instead of, panicking or instead of uh you know getting super worried where this might go it's like try and approach it with some degree of curiosity it's like okay what's actually going on here like why am i feeling this way Mm -hmm. and you can probably figure a lot of that stuff out through journaling 
Um, I think it's quite difficult to do when it's all in your own head. So that's why writing stuff down is very, very useful. Um, people can look up a, a kind of a sort of a meditative exercise um, called expansion uh, from uh, ACT or, you know, acceptance commitment therapy is ACT, um, which is is designed to help people deal with difficult feelings and emotions, right? So you can look that up like on YouTube and stuff or just Google it, like Google uh, ACT expansion and you'll 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 see you'll find exercises for that right so that can be quite useful to help develop that sort of uh, ability to sit with potentially uncomfortable emotions like i said depending on where these are coming from it might be more than you can do on your own and you might need some professional guidance on this but you know in a lot of cases like i said there's a lot to there's a lot you can do on your own yeah no i mean amazing info um and i i got to listen to that information all all day because um I think it's brilliant the fact that you know no matter what end of I don't even want to say it this way but what end of the spectrum you know if people have a severe case of, of that's a fair way to put it yeah or people are just fine like that they you know overeat I think any of that advice is going to be super useful and I think something that I need to start doing is journaling because even if you know I am stressed or I am, uh, you know, anxious or frustrated with something. I, my thing is, uh, exercise for me. I'm like, walk, go to the gym, which is good to some extent, but it's not as well because I definitely can relate to suppressing those feelings because I don't want to feel them. I don't want to feel sad. I don't want to feel frustrated. I don't want to feel emotional. Um, and it's, it's, it's crazy. I think how we all have our certain, you know, coping mechanisms. And uh, would I be right in saying that, you know, when it comes to maybe emotional eating or boredom eating or something, it's, you know, we have our list of coping mechanisms, whether it's, you know, you're feeling lonely. Okay. Rather than going to the fridge or going to the cupboard, call a friend because that's matching your, you know, um, emotions to what action is best kind of suited for that. You're feeling tired. A lot of people will go to the fridge when they're feeling tired because they need a hit of sugar or whatever they think it is okay, maybe you need an app instead. Um, And I think we can apply that example to loads of things. So for me like that, it's like, I'm, you know, really stressed at something. My initial thing is I need a walk. Maybe that's useful, but you should have, I suppose, a list of maybe five or six things. Food can be one of them, but it can't be the one that you keep going back to. Is that Mm. right? Exactly kind of something you agree with? Yeah, that's a great uh, summary. And that actually reminds me of a point I forgot to make, right? Which is like, if we're, if we're trying to reduce the process to <clears throat> a few simple steps in, in this context, it's like, it's basically what you describe. It's like, okay, first of all, what am I feeling, right? So you have to have mindfulness, present state awareness for that. Try and articulate what what you're feeling, first of all, because like stress is not really a feeling it's kind of a collection of feelings so you can use something like the feelings wheel if you google that to help with your vocabulary because it's often a a limiting factor for people in in working on this stuff based on that you can try and uh, decide what need is being unmet right now so you in your example there vicky you said okay if you're feeling lonely right so my need for human connection is not being met is eating a good way to meet that need? Like, obviously not, unless unless you're going out for food with company or something, then it's like quite a good way to go about it. But it's not really the food there. It's the, the human connection. Um, so yeah, you can definitely try and like, ideally, yeah, identify 
what action will best meet that need. However, it's not always going to be practical, you know, you, you know, if it's like the middle of the day and you're at work, like maybe you can't go for a nap. Right. Um, yeah. So I kind of, I call that like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. You may do something. It's not quite the perfect fit, but it may be okay in the given circumstance. And that's when you have like, so I talk about like having a, a toolbox full of coping mechanisms, just like what you said, like, when you open that up, it can't be only eating that's in there. It's probably in there, but it needs to be amongst some other tools, just the way I like to analogize it. So yes, that's, that's bang on. And I'm glad you reminded me because I didn't actually cover that. No, it's good. I actually think it was you that told me about that wheel of, you know, matching your, your emotions or your feelings to what really should be done. Um, as opposed to like that, just looking for food or just looking to go and exercise. Um, Listen, unfortunately, we are so tight on time. I feel like, and this always happens when I talk to you, I feel like it could literally be a two or three hour long podcast. Yes. But unfortunately, we don't have, it's Christmas week, we don't have all the hours in the day. Mm. Um, but I would absolutely love to have you back on to discuss further, um, you know, topics, um, whether that be, you know, maybe PCOS or IBS. Listen, I have three rapid fire questions to finish up which I did not give you a heads up on. I'm not giving anybody on the podcast a heads up on. Uh, they're pretty simple. Well, really cut into pads. I think the first one will throw you a little bit. Mm. But question one, what is your favorite breakfast? Ooh, I would say it's probably the one I eat most of the time. So it's going to be like uh, like oats with like... Actually, my favorite is... Uh, did you ever get the Nutridyne uh, greens powder? The chocolate flavor one. No, but I know it's amazing. I've seen so many people use it. But for whatever reason, it tastes phenomenal, right? And I actually don't get it anymore because the prices have, have jacked up and it comes from the UK and everything. So this is actually a, a lost yeah. breakfast, but this is one of my favorites. <laughs> so it's going to be porridge, oats with a scoop of that stirred in with some dark chocolate that then gets all melty and some peanut butter and some mixed seeds. Um, big bowl of berries on the side protein shake uh like for the protein source and that and i love that breakfast man um i used to eat that every day i'm amazing cool uh question number two favorite music artist Ooh, judging by my spotify this year it's a fellow called colin mcginnis i don't know if you've heard of him no um he does a lot of like well, I mean, he does he does kind of a lot of like shanties and stuff, which I'm not that interested in. But he has this like ridiculously like deep voice, right? If you check him out, you should check him out on YouTube, right? Because he he like plays multiple instruments. He's an Irish fella, but he, he plays multiple instruments, and so he'll put the like videos together, so they all come together. But he's like doing each part separately, and he and like the only one that plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he I don't know why he's like genre of music is even called but he does like a lot of songs like from like lord of the rings and like old norse songs and things like that and kev would love that that's his type yeah of music. okay well yeah tell him. unfortunately not my thing i'm a bit more into pop like but... he's my most listened to artist on spotify this year um also kerala dust which is i believe in the <laughs> the category of desert techno whatever that means um <laughs> So yeah, they were kind of two of my most listened to 
I have a kind of eclectic taste in music. Like it's very broad. Like I also love that is very broad. I thought you're about. I thought that was like a heavy metal band or something. <laughs> Corala Dust. Yeah. Yeah. No, I only actually only came up with my cousin in, in Cape Town. Actually introduced me to them like last year. Oh, wow. Yeah, very vibey. So there you go. Cool. Not expecting that. No, it was not at all. Brilliant. Um, and last question, difficult one, I'm sure. But favorite book. Ooh, no, actually, uh, the Daily Stoic, I think, is is my favorite yeah. book because it... that is anytime I see somebody reading that book, I'm like Brian. <laughs> yeah, that's Brian's book. Yeah, and I have I have read it. I haven't finished the whole thing, but I've read it. It's very very good. Yeah, it's 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 so accessible. You know, one page a day. Exactly, like day to day struggles that people have. Like even everything we just talked it about. Can there, help you I... get your mental affairs in order with like not that much input and effort from you like just read the one page a day mull it over a little bit trying to adopt yeah. some of the like it's very practical philosophy which which is which is great um so that's that's fantastic actually you know i mentioned uh, acceptance and commitment therapy a lot during this episode um there is kind of a like layperson self-help book called the happiness trap um which is all about act techniques um it's very easy read, uh, very useful um, for like helping you deal with difficult thoughts, deal with difficult emotions, um, and then still do the things that are important to you anyway. That's kind of like in a very brief summary what what ACT looks like. Um, like it's only a couple hundred pages, uh, very easy reading. Like even if you're not a good reader, just I would recommend. Yeah. It's, kind of the, it's one of those things I think everyone should read. Um, so yeah, they they're kind of I, I have more obviously, but you. You asked me for one and I've given you two. So I'm going to gracefully stop. That's there. okay. I, I, I can accept two. Absolutely. <laughs> you said the Daily Stoke first. So we're going to have to go with that one. Fair. Brilliant. Um, and listen, last one, Brian, where can people find you or find um, more about you? Yeah. Um, Instagram is definitely the best place if you want to like see content that I produce. Um so Instagram, so my own personal Instagram page, which is at Brian O'Hengisa, um, or you can get loads more content at a triage method, um, our Instagram there, you know, all the coaches contributed content there, including myself. So, um, um, triage method.com. Um, if you want to find out about like coaching services or the nutrition course that we have, um, yeah, they're, they're the best places. Uh, I'm not really that active anywhere else. So. Brilliant. And just to repeat, his name is Brian Ohengasa. Yeah. Hard to spell, but you'll find it. <laughs> you'll have it in some sort of show notes, I assume. I will absolutely. Um, listen, Brian, thank you so, so much for coming on the Long Story Short podcast. It was great to have you on and have a bit of a catch up as well. Yeah, I will keep in mind to have you on for further podcasts. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Great. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Brian and took plenty of helpful tips from it. If you found it useful, I would love for you to share it with your friends, family, or anyone else you think might find it useful as this really helps in growing the podcast. For more information, make sure to follow me on Instagram at Vicky Cornick, as well as my gym page at victory underscore fitness underscore IE. This is where you can also check out our 28 day trial that we run for half price. Lastly, if you're wanting to get updates for future episodes, which include some incredible guests, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. See you next time.